G'day Footyology listeners, Roko here. Enjoy our podcast? Well, you can become an official Footyology podcast supporter simply by using the supporter feature through ACAST. There's no subscription or regular commitment, just the sheer satisfaction that comes with knowing you've kept the debt collectors from our door. No, just kidding. It does help though. If you want to get started, you just need to follow the support this show link in the show description. Thanks again. And now let's get on with it. Welcome to the Footyology Podcast with Rowan Connolly and Mark Fine. Hello, everyone. Welcome to uh, the round four preview version of the Audio Footyology Podcast. <laughs> we have so many podcasts and TV uh, shows, if you like, or whatever going on. It's hard to keep track. But, uh, yep, this is the pre-round four edition. As I say, very good morning to you, Mark Fine. Morning, Rowan. Uh, you enjoying summer football? That's how football felt last weekend. And as we head into this weekend, I think um, we might have some cooler conditions locally in Melbourne. But it's still, it's a different game when it's hot, isn't it? I love it. It's my favourite. Apart from finals, early season footy is my favourite part of the year, mainly because of that weather. But you tend to get higher scoring games as well. And I think we're, we're seeing that again this season before the defensive stinginess kicks in. But... Or, or the Teasdale factor, as I used to call it. Remember there was a little period there he'd start the season? Oh, well, the year he won nine... the Brownlow, he kicked, I think, nine and nine, eight. And yeah. Yeah, yeah. Or is that the John Georgiades factor? He kicked, <laughs> what did he kick eight and seven in his first two or something? The, yeah. the Wayne Primer factor. He did that for Essendon in uh, 78, kicked about three bags of seven. But, yeah, look, there's something about sitting at the footy with the sun shining, it's still warm. And I love leaving games yeah. of footy too when it's not dark. And Yeah, that's you know, no, nice, the, especially the MCG. Yeah. yeah. Not that, uh, especially myself as an ex-smoker advocated, but almost the, the haze out of the uh, MCC members on a balmy afternoon. Has a... Autumn leaves, cut grass and cigarette smoke and football. It's a great combination, Fonny. Not that we'd encourage smoking, but uh, there's something about that aroma. You can burn off your leaves if you want that same effect without um, directly affecting your health. That's true. That is a great smell, the burning of leaves, isn't it? All right, let's get into the um, issues that have cropped up post-round three, and there's quite a few. Um, I thought we'd touch on the Michael Christian incident. Now, for those not across it, I'm pretty sure anyone listening to this is, but... Michael Christian, match report, match review officer, was attending his daughter's game of football on Sunday and um, wasn't that happy with the way the umpire, umpire was interpreting holding the ball, thought um, the umpire should be paying sling tackles when he was paying holding the ball, went out and had a chat to him um, and uh, got in a fair bit of trouble for it, had to come out and do a, a mea culpa, and uh, t- I saw Tom Elliott and 3AW demanding his resignation, which is a sort of Tom 3AW-ish sort of thing to do. Um, I'd be honest, I, I I didn't think it was a big deal at all. Now, I, you know, I'm sure having his time over again, you know, or f- I'm, I'm pretty sure five minutes later he would have realised, yeah, probably shouldn't have done that, but... It wasn't a heated argument. Both parties conceded that. It was a discussion. They agreed to disagree. I didn't have a big problem with it. You know, for me, it was a it was a sort of a, a paragraph mention in a gossip column. Why we get to the point now where... And the fact that the umpire didn't actually... If the umpire was really upset about it, Adrian Fisher, the umpire's name was, he could have rung the AFL and said, hey, listen. But he didn't. He, 
the first you hear of it, it's on 3AW. And I, I reckon that's pretty ordinary. Outrageous that people would believe that you check your rights in at the turnstile if you hold a position with the AFL. Michael Christian would have been attending that game as the father of a player and one who, with AFL experience, uh, felt that it was worthwhile going out and having a chat with the umpire, especially given that it surrounded uh, the topic of how to tackle and the sling tackle. Player safety comes into some of that discussion. Well, the, the I mean, both parties agreed that it was a... You know, a, not a heated discussion. No, that's right. It, um, so, so and and communicate. Yeah, I, I. So, why did it become a issue? Because uh, fed through the controversial filter that is talkback radio. Yeah, you can run with this and run take it as far as you want. Uh, the reaction of Tom Elliott saying that Michael Christian should resign is an incendiary comment. Inflammatory, both mean the same thing. And do you think Tom's just, you know what? Like Tom's a pretty intelligent guy. Is you he? Know, well, yeah, I used to work with him on Three AW. Okay, because I've read, I've read, I've read his articles on addiction, and I would consider that on certain topics he's grossly ill-informed, lives in a bubble, and um, is he's pressed his upbringing of prestige oozes through some of his writings. I don't listen to him. No, well, you didn't. Um, you didn't hear my punchline, which was basically Sorry, mate. no, no. It's basically what you were going to say. I, I think deep down he knows that this is garbage, and increasingly to me, it sounds like he's parroting his dad's scripts. You know, like he used to be on three triple R, or is he? Is that a cliche too? The sort of I was a junior leftist, and then I became a Tory sort of thing, yeah. which yeah. gives me. You know how every oh, yeah, that's every right wing <clears throat> nut job comment, social commentator in in the media now trots that line. Andrew Bolt does that. Oh, you know, I used to work for the Labor Party, but now I'm a neo-fascist. You know? uh, of course, you know, it's you know, don't forget that uh, growing up and going to university, some of my best friends were uh, uh, Sudanese. Yeah. The fact that I now use them as coffee tables, it shouldn't be considered, uh, <laughs> it should not be considered a slur on my personality. Now you're, you're I'm not referring to any individuals. You're not, yeah, there. you're not suggesting any individuals are actually doing that. I just, I, as, as a postscript to this, I would like to, this really should be Media Watch. As a postscript to this, I'd like to say that I went to watch my daughter's first game of football. Oh yeah, how'd she go? Yeah, I've got to say this. You know, she and the team, the Collegians, did really well. They were playing against Renegades, who are the Renegades. Well, they play out of Brunswick. I think they're oh, yeah. connected with maybe North Old Boys. Yeah. Uh, first person I saw when I walked into the ground uh, was Simon Madden. Oh, really? Who I shared a great batting partnership with during a uh, a cricket match, a yeah, fundraising cricket game. So who who his daughter have... was making her debut. Really? Yeah. How's his daughter? I didn't ask. Yeah, okay. Needless to say, the apple didn't fall far from the tree. Tall? Ruck? She played on the centre-half back. This was the twos. Yeah. And she seemed to be well and truly um, up to that standard. Whereas my daughter, who was a very good hockey player and badminton, won colours and premierships at APS level in year year 12. Yeah. You've got to realise with these girls... when a young boy makes, when a bloke makes his debut at, for a senior football team, he might have. I played. 
I never played senior football, but I played 150 junior games. Yeah. Maybe 50 school games. Every waking moment in the street, playing street games, kick to kick, right through to when the lights went down outside, playing with my Nerf football up and down yeah, the corridor. Nerf footy, yeah. Andy's, my daughter's never played football. Um, so things like tackling, and this yeah. is quite interesting, because of their background in other sports and whatever, tackling can be untidy and dangerous. And I don't think it is um, unsuitable for somebody to go out there and have a discussion with the umpire if they are in a position such as Michael Christian, mm. a lofty position in football, mm. if he believes that that discussion handled correctly might make it safer for the girls. I couldn't agree more. It's not like, you know, insider trading or something. There's no sort of legal ramifications here. It's someone who works in footy having a discussion yeah. with someone else who works in footy. So, And, and it must be very respectful because the umpire didn't take any um, offence by it. Yeah, so why'd they... I don't know how the contact happened, but two days later, bobbing up on a radio station, sus as I reckon. Just quickly, and a stupid aside, Simon Madden has a niece who is almost a millionaire, set up her own YouTube channel called Gracie's World. There was a story about her in the paper a couple of weeks ago. Um, does sort of uh, storylines using... Barbie dolls and stuff. Yep. Mattel jumped in and advertised, and she's got like a million subscribers or something finding. And that, Gracie, is someone we should be aspiring to in our leap into the independent media. Imagine, actually, how about replacing ourselves with Barbie, Barbie dolls? dolls? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, actually, I thought a lot or of. Ken dolls. Well, I thought a lot of football shows actually were being fronted by Barbie and Ken dolls. Yeah. Weren't, didn't you? I. I don't know. I'd, I'd need to check their genitalia or lack thereof. All right, let's get on with some more issues before we uh, make this a de facto media watch. Um, it struck me that there is already, after three rounds, some pretty serious injuries. Now, the, the ones that bobbed up this week, Liam Ryan, which is a real shame because he's given West Coast a real spark. He'll be and out. for Paul. Yes, yeah, he'll be out for probably three months. Gary Ablett, of course, doing the hammy and lots of talk about that. Well, hang on. Did we not discuss? I did. I not suggest on this very podcast that he should not play against West Coast. That somebody uh, with did. hamstring did. awareness at his age. Yep. When the coach said that we don't expect him to play every game this year. Yeah. Well, surely top of the list would would have been the perfect storm created heading into that game and going west. I, I'm surprised he played. Yeah. Well, the I guess the hamstring awareness um, became a. Um, a uh, flow-on effect of the medical department's unawareness of uh, his requirements. So I saw he's played 93% game time, which is the most he's played for about five years or something. Um, I wanted to touch on a couple. Now, Collingwood can't take a trick here, so Taylor Adams going pretty well this season, and Jamie Elliott killing it in the VFL and about to come back. They both do hamstrings on Wednesday evening, so... I don't know what's going on with the soft tissue injuries down there. And that's an ongoing saga for them, isn't it? It is. Uh, and they've changed fitness guys too. Well, it's, it, it was that... Um, Bill Daverin. Bill Daverin, who yeah. had a horror run with soft tissue injuries at St Kilda. Yeah, but he has, in fairness to Bill, like he's done some really good work. As, oh, uh, you know, it tends to be a bit of a flavour of the I, month thing. And I do know that at St Kilda, and, and I would learn this post his time at St Kilda... Um, had a very difficult 
relationship with Scott Waters, who was coach, that made his job more difficult. Yeah. Um, the one which I think is really interesting as much from a structural point of view is Sam Reid for Sydney. So uh, he's had um, a history with quad injuries. He's done another one uh, probably out for eight weeks. Interesting because we talked the first couple of weeks about do Sydney have an over-reliance on Buddy. They seem to answer that at last weekend against GWS by pushing him further up the ground where he was fantastic. You know, he had low 20 disposals, still kicked a couple of amazing goals. Um, but now, without Reed there, and you've already got Sinclair sort of going solo in the ruck, he's probably not going to be able to push forward as much because Reed can't relieve him. But he's probably going to have to play closer to goal. They've lost another key defender, incidentally, in Lewis Melican for a couple of weeks. So, it's, there's a real, I'm noticing now with, uh, injuries, particularly to key position players and Ruckman, um, there's a real domino effect all over the ground. Yeah. Ruckman are proving to be key to many teams' fortunes. Melbourne would be, I'd say pedestrian without Gorn, which means that we have to concede last season might not have been as, and, uh, yeah, it was a bit disappointing for them last year, missing out on the eight. Yeah. Factor in the difference Max Gorn makes oh, before absolutely. and after. Yeah. So, yeah, there's a huge knock-on effect there. Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. Actually, just while we're speaking about Ruckman, um, interesting story. Brad Scott's really put the acid on Todd Goldstein after that, I wouldn't say insipid, but he was very well led around, beaten led by around, Led around by the, you know, by the master for the entire Oh, yeah, no, he was. Yeah, Gorn. I think Gorn ended up with 50-plus hit-outs. Yeah. Goldie had about half that. I really like Todd Golson. He's a lovely bloke, and he's had some... Oh, look, you know, people... Lots of people have marital break-up sort of issues, but his was particularly nasty, and he was, I thought, quite, you know, brave in a way to sort of talk about it publicly, and I was really hoping he'd sort of revert back to All-Australian Todd Goldstein because I, I really like him. And, you know, I hope he gets it together because he's one of the more likeable guys in footy. Yeah, it, he may well be, but um, from a purely football an- analysing or analysis perspective, mm. uh, at the MCG on the weekend, I watched that game in full and I thought both Ruckman were gone. <laughs> I, I do. I think he's. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. you know, he's. I think he's. Magic Daw was standing flat footed in the ruck and out rucking Gorn. I mean, he can really ruck Magic. Yeah. You know, he's a conundrum wrapped up in a riddle. Yeah. Well, tied I, up with a bow. He's, some pretty good signs on, on Saturday from him. Yeah, but, but still, you know, still. Yeah, still. N- number, I, numbers, number thin and. Yeah. Sometimes exposed. He took, I think. Might have been a mark or a free. It might have been a mark, and he just slammed it into the, into the player on the mark. Yeah, it wasn't a smother. He actually kicked it into him. I reckon. Yeah. Um, one more, just quickly before we move on. Um, Connor McKenna uh, obviously got a lot of publicity. Three weeks. Did you think that was a fair whack or not? Uh, probably a bit light. Yeah. Yeah, it takes full responsibility for biting somebody. Yeah. Is is there? Um, yeah. Look, I. I I could sort of see both sides of the coin. I mean, he didn't break the skin. Uh, he pleaded guilty. So, so he got three weeks for sucking something. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we did all the Dracula jokes and stuff. Um, 
Yeah, I, I don't know. It's it's a it's an interesting one. It's I, a very well, strange thing to have done. Well, it is. What I was going to mindset. What I was going to say was, uh, you know, is there severity of biting in your book, or is biting such a reprehensible thing that the degree of the bite doesn't really matter? If you know what I mean. Yeah. Look, it's a um. Is it an Essendon thing? Oh come on. Philandia was playing for Essendon. Uh, no, he? he wasn't. He was playing for Port Melbourne. <laughs> <laughs> Not a r- really, really ordinary attempt to try and bring the Bombers into another scandal. <laughs> Actually, we were talking about that on the set of Margaret the other night, and poor, I, I'm sure poor old Peter Philandia saw the biting thing and thought, "Oh no, someone's going yeah, to someone's going to drag my name up again." Yeah, it's not it's not good for him, and uh, I'm sure Chad <clears throat> Davis doesn't really enjoy the memory of it either. Oh right, he was the um, the bitee. Yeah, except uh, the the anatomy was a little a more little bit more controversial. Than Although the neck is pretty sensitive, there there is a jugular vein there. Yeah, not now, as sensitive as the ball you said, sack. When you when you said what was his um, uh, mindset? Yeah, it, it, you know what? Like, and it's no, I'm not excusing him in any way, shape, or form. But you could it was a you could see how wounded his pride was by the fact that he'd been chased down by Tory Dixon. Yep. Because yeah. his whole shtick is how quick he is, yeah. and here he was getting chased down, and he just he lost the plot. He looked like a he looked like a a wolf cub looking for a teat. Yeah, we did that joke on Margrook too. I think we got a, a text. Okay, I didn't see Margrook. Uh, it hasn't been shown yet, has it? In- are you looking at me like I should have seen it? No, but it, it's Wednesday night. Yeah, I didn't see it. Okay. You've been a bit clever here. Well, while we're talking about it, uh, it is available, SPS On Demand, I to anyone I, at any time. I'm, I'm a regular viewer. I and actually, you should, uh, quite seriously, you should watch it because Rounds of Our Lives last night, uh, we're doing this on Thursday morning, Rounds of Our Lives, we did Round 493 and we interviewed Nicky Winmar about the famous day at Collingwood. It was good. Unlike rounds of our lives that we used to do on a footyology, which never contained St Kilda winning once. Ah, oh, you think that's a conspiracy too? <laughs> well, I left it in your capable hands. Yeah, well, I I covered that, the Nicky Wimar game. Don't I, bite me. No, no, Rowan. <laughs> All right. Uh, just, just very yeah, quickly. Yeah, come on, quick. Um, sort of through those injuries and for various other reasons, after three rounds, and I know we've got, an undefeated team, and um, that's fine. But uh, every we don't have a, a. In fact, every side from the top through to sides that would be happy with their start of the season have all had a, a, a shown a chink in their armour, haven't they? Uh, every side. Every side. Um, no one's come through the yeah, first Yeah, no, well, that's true. There's only one undefeated team, and, Port, Port, and, and they had a very close sh- save against Brisbane. Yeah, they they had a real. Yeah. Scare against Brisbane. Yeah, so, no, so it's, I think, it's good. I think there's there's a, not a soft underbelly, but there's no team that's um, sounding out warning bells of being invincible. Which I think I think this is going to be a recurring theme over the next few years that we have a, a tighter competition than ever, which is great. However, that has come at the cost of some of the quality at the top end. Yeah, and I think that's an observation that is now. Not opinion, it's fact. Yeah, no, I agree. We'll yep. we'll, uh, we'll explore that in more detail another time. Time to move on there. Uh, on there, no. On, no. On now, though, with our next segment. On 
Footyology Media Watch. Uh, here we go. This is a segment that always arouses some interest and debate and sometimes some angst. And last week, finally, you wanted to talk about uh, female commentators and we talked about Kelly Underwood. I had some interesting feedback on that. A few people saying it was an interesting discussion. A few people saying you're a misogynist, you know, blah, blah, blah. We're really? not going to... Re- yeah, yeah. But, I mean, you're always going to get that sort I was, of I was putting it out. Response. I was putting it out there on behalf of... Just to, as a quick follow-up, I was putting it on out there on behalf of uh, the fact that it is a ballsy move by the ABC to front their main game with Kelly. No, I, I think... Not asking the question, yeah, no, not, not I, offering any opinion. I, agree. I think you're being genuine. I think whenever someone says, they say that, people, uh, some people will think you're using that as a front to mask your own view. But oh, I, but, I but, believe you. I, but during it, I said she's an excellent caller yeah, with did. great player ID and has every right to be calling games. So, yep. All right, well... We, I said that, not they. Um, I don't know if we'll be quite as con- controversial this week. I'm going to, uh, just before you go with your bit, we had a good email to the Footyology site during the week from Paul, um, and he wanted to ask us a, a question that he hoped we could answer in this segment, and it was about ghostwriting. And I've done a bit of that, so uh, you go first, and then I'll tell my ghostwriting stories. Okay, I, I want to talk about the overexposure, saturation of a certain figures in football media. Now, this is not about individuals. So they say <laughs> this is not about individuals per se. Yeah. Though we can use the example, say, of Mark Robinson more last year than this year, given he no longer appears regularly on. 1116 SEN, rather, he appears maybe for an hour on 3AW. Yep. That may extend out with the new sports network that is going to be working 24-7 post-Commonwealth Games. They've had a sort of, um, what's it called, a, a something opening, that restaurant, a soft opening, Yeah, I think they've had. Yeah. Um, so we might hear more from Robbo there. And they might have a soft salary cap too. <laughs> Jared Waitley appears daily... Nominally daily on SEN, yep. of course, with calling commitments and um, no Fridays, it hasn't been overload. But then nightly on AFL 360, yep. uh, four nights a week, I believe. Mm. Uh, I don't think he writes anymore. He used to write for the Herald Sun. Yeah, no, I don't think Jerry's doing that anymore. Okay. Um, but when people have positions, say, in those three forms of media, yeah, is it... Oversaturation, and I ask the question because you can only have one fresh opinion. You can only have a fresh opinion on sport, and it's hard to stay fresh twice daily. Yeah. And the other question is: Is this happening because? And hey, if I was offered one position, I'd take it, let alone three. So no um, foul on the people who take up the opportunity to maximise their earning potential. Absolutely. In fact, you, you're part of this too, Rowan. You're on Mangrook. You're regularly on 1116 SEN. You've got a podcast. You've got a, a YouTube TV station. You work for the Essendon Football Club. Uh, um, sporting News, New Daily. Yeah, I'm saying. So yeah. take the opportunities when they exist. No foul for the people involved. Um, the question is, do they lose their punch? One. I think they do. Mm. And two, is this a growing trend because of the 
um, interests that uh, certain large media organisations have in both print, TV, and one day, and also influencing radio, perhaps, because we know that Fox football talent comes from News, News Corp. News Corp. Yeah. The News Corp stable. Yeah, I think uh, I think that's uh, to answer that. Uh, I think that's a bit of it. Um, I think it's been going on quite a while now. I reckon probably. Uh, I remember when I started doing Three AW and Pay TV in nineteen ninety six. It was still pretty rare then. Mike Sheen was probably a pioneer when he went on Talking Footy. I reckon up and so up until about ninety four, ninety five, you had print radio, TV, and they're all pretty separate. So Sheehan sort of was the first, certainly the first newspaper guy to sort of go into a mainstream TV sort of thing with the, with the same subject. Um, I started doing AW and uh, Optus back in the old Optus Vision days, the early incarnation of um, pay TV in 96. Not, but the, I, not the earliest. What was the earliest? Galaxy. No, that was part of, Galaxy was part of it. Oh, okay. Yeah, you got Optus Vision through Galaxy. There you go. Um, yeah, we got so we we, had, we did a show called Football Feedback, which Andy Ma produced. First mm-hmm. panel, it was pretty good. I mean, the first panel was Tim Wayne, Lee Matthews, Peter Dacos, and me. It was great, yeah, you know. Anyway, great. save that one for another day. But um, yeah, I reckon people have crossed the media platforms probably for twenty years. But that last point you raise is an interesting one because. Um, and again, you know, if you're if you're fortunate enough to work for that organisation, you know, half your luck. You know, you get perhaps some opportunities that you might not get elsewhere. AFL 360. I'm not sure if people are aware of this, but when it started, it's a great show. Um, it's uh, that was actually my understanding is because I remember talking to someone from Fox that News Corp, when it only part owned Fox Sports, actually bought that show. So it was always going to have a uh, News Corp newspaper journal on it mm. um which was worked out pretty well for robo so there's a there's a bit of right place right time about it but are you are you doing justice to your readers listeners stroke viewers you reckon are you, are you spreading yourself too thin yeah or, or how can how can you present all right let's take the michael christian incident uh blown up during the week on yeah. 3aw yeah. we've already discussed it yeah if you've got a firm opinion on that. So we both feel that it was um, Overblown. much ado about nothing. Yeah. How do you present that in a fresh, relevant way on radio, on TV, on the same day, and in a newspaper article potentially... The next on that, morning. Yeah, on, on the next print. Yeah, it's not easy. Yeah, I, I guess I have been in that position. Um, well, I think radio tends to be more... Stream of consciousness, um, you know, immediate talkback element to it as well. So that's a bit of free-forming. The, the newspaper piece, or, you know, in my case now, the website piece would be a more considered, constructed, crafted sort of argument of my position. And TV, um, I guess the other element would be footage, if it was something that involved footage. So it's, it's sort of, I, I guess what I'm saying is, after you do all three for a while, it, it becomes a bit of an unconscious, unconscious process how you adapt a particular discussion for each forum. Yeah. Well, um, well, so I'd, to, I'd like to think I make them sufficiently different. Just taking you as an example. Yeah. And again, I'd jump at 
any you know any payment opportunity you jump at. Yeah. What a what a um, self serving and preposterous uh, position one takes if you feel that you need to give the stream of conscious version of my opinion, mm. the more well thought out written version, and then the visual version. I mean, you know. Uh, uh, who are you, Socrates? I mean, it, do you understand what I'm saying? It is a you're forced into that. I'm not saying I'm not saying that you demand three forms of media to espouse yeah, yeah. every no, no, opinion. I know, I know what you're saying, but yeah. in massaging it three different ways, it really is to me um, over. You know, yeah. I'd rather though that version of it than what. I think sometimes does happen, I'm not going to name names, where people feel that rather than repeat themselves, they almost contradict themselves. And I've heard that on radio. Don't worry about that. You're not going to name names? No. Why not? Because one name comes to mind. I don't have any examples of it. So without an example, that would be scurrilous. Yeah. All right. Well, maybe people can um, email us at uh, footyology. Dot com you tell us who you think he's talking about there. Beep, um, beep, all beep, right, <laughs> you just gave it away. I did not. Oh, you did say. So. I didn't do any. I don't uh, know where those beeps came from. That was a pretty good sound effect. Um, all right, I'm going to. Uh, so I got an email from Paul, and he asked me if I'd ever ghostwritten, and he wanted to hear a bit about how it works and how much contribution does the ghost make to the column and now for anyone not familiar with this we're talking about like a big name player or someone who writes a column as such and has a journo sort of help him write it um so yeah i've done a fair bit of that how much contribution does the ghost make and should their name be on the byline as well that last one's interesting because uh the, my first ghosting assign a task in journalism was lou richards um, and that was a great thrill for a 20-year-old to ghost Lou Richards. But um, every story Lou wrote had the ghost byline as well. So for a long time, it was by Lou Richards and Tom Pryor. Uh, Greg Baum ghosted Lou. Lou Richards and Greg Baum. And you know, I was lucky enough to ride on Lou's coattails in that byline as well. And it was, God, it was, uh, yeah, well, I might talk about that one day. Such a thrill working with Lou for a, who in the mid-80s was the biggest figure in the football media. And So can I ask, yeah. what did it entail? Well, in his case, um, okay, so you'd write previews, um, but you'd also go out and do, he'd do an interview every week. He really worked hard. And uh, you'd go out, do an interview with him. You'd take a photographer along with you. It was usually a very colourful character called Colin Bull. And um, we'd go out and he'd do the interview. and He'd ask the questions? He'd, oh, we'd, I could chip in and ask questions, but, yeah, he'd ask the bulk of them. Um, and he'd write those questions or he'd have them in his mind? Have them in his mind. I'd yep. write a few. Um, I'd take the notes. Yep. We didn't use tape recorders then, so I was relying on shorthand, which yep. fortunately was okay. We'd go back to the office. Where did you learn shorthand? At Stotts? It was, it was part of um, the cadetship. You had to do shorthand classes. I tell you what, I wish I still had it because it, it just transcribing you, interviews is the worst thing in the world. Do you know what Stotts was? Uh, it's a secretary school. Secretarial college. Yeah. Yeah, yeah no, I remember it. My sister Michelle Fine was a proud graduate. Okay. Um, so we'd go back to the office and sit down and write the story together. Um, and, you know, Lou 
Lou was usually more interested in the gags than the content. Say, hey, what, what about this gag, kid? Is that all right? Is that, is that funny? You know, oh, yeah, you know, you've got to say they're all funny. Um, so that's how that worked. That was a long time ago. It's obviously changed a lot. And actually, I, I reckon most of the big name sort of columns now are written by the guys themselves. Yeah, I think so. Um, and reason for that is <laughs> good and bad. I think, uh, you know, players tend to be a bit more educated and articulate and, and uh, well-read. Um, and employers expect... They expect it, yeah. I don't think yeah. there's many people that say, oh, we'll, we'll ghost it for you. Um, but also, I think in a negative way, I think standards have declined a bit, so the standard of the copy doesn't have to be as good. Mm-hmm. Um, so, okay, my, my big ghosting tasks were uh, Lou Richards when I was, you know, 20, 21. Um, late 80s at the age, I ghosted Kevin Sheedy, who was a regular columnist. Yep. Um, and Sheed's had a great relationship with Patrick Smith, who was sports editor. And he was a columnist, but he'd sort of breeze in and out. Like, you might not see him for three weeks, and then he'd come in three times in a week and want to write three columns. Yep. There's usually some agenda with, with most columns she's going to write. But I was his ghost, and that was a really interesting experience because you'd sit opposite him, like, and the computer terminals would be back-to-back, and he'd be sitting opposite you, and he'd, you know, everyone knows what she's like, just sort of scattergun ideas, and you'd take these notes and talk to him and sort of get the ideas right to put it together. And then he'd walk out the door and you'd look at the notes and you've just got this jumbled collection of hodgepodge, scattergun ideas, some of them brilliant, some of them completely wacky, and thinking, somehow I have to weave that into a column, yeah, which was great. a skill in itself. Um, my favourite ghosting story is about Gary Ablett Senior, right? So Gaz was famously a recluse and didn't want to do media. And then towards the end of his career... His manager said to him, look, you know, you're the biggest name in the game. You've got to start getting some money out of this. And uh, so 1993, they got on to us at the Sunday Age, and he said, I want to do a column. And um, the sports editor at the time, Ken Merrigan, said, uh, I want you to ghost him. So Gaz comes in the first day to write the column, and journos are a pretty cynical bunch, but you've never seen – it was like the parting of the seas for Moses, like everyone just awestruck by Gary Ablett Sr. coming in. It happened to be the day happened to be the day before he kicked the fourteen goals against Essendon in that famous uh, game where he kicked fourteen and Salmon kicked ten and the Cats ended up losing the game anyway. Um, you know, one of the most outstanding individual performances ever. But one element to that, um, we we're halfway through doing this first column. He said. Oh, uh, geez, bro, I'm pretty hungry. Can we, can we go and get something to eat? And um, the canteen was closed for some reason. So the only thing around, this is in Lonsdale Street, was this crummy old milk bar over the road. And I said, oh, geez, you can go over there and get a solid sandwich. Anyway, I walked over with him and he got this pretty crappy solid sandwich. We went back and he's chomping away at the desk. Comes out the next day and kicks 14 goals. So on Monday we turned up to work and the milk bar had this huge thing stuck in the window saying, on Friday, he ate this with a picture of the sandwich. Oh On God. Saturday, he did this. That's hilarious. But the actual column itself, uh, I discovered within five minutes that he was completely paranoid about revealing anything about himself or his teammates or the club. So, so okay, well, Because he didn't know his teammates' names. <laughs> well, that was possible. But, he, it, you know, I was asking questions about his own game. He's going, oh, yeah, I it's a bit embarrassing, right? I don't want to talk about myself too much. So 
So I said, okay, well, let's talk about your teammates. You know, you guys got off to a bit of an indifferent start, but it's starting to come good. You know, how's Couchy going? And, um, uh, you know, Damien Burke, so he coming back from injury. Uh, oh, geez, Rowan, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to put them in a difficult position, mate. You know, can we sort of talk about something else? And I said, well, you know, that's you and your teammates and the <laughs> club. Uh, and then in desperation, they'd played Brisbane up at the Gabba the weekend before. And I thought, maybe we can talk about that. And I said, okay, well, you played up at the Gabba, newly renovated. How was that? And he said, uh, oh, yeah, great ground, mate. You know, really good facilities. Really enjoyed going up there. I said, well, let's talk about the Bears. They're a good young emerging side. They've got some good young players. What uh, what do you think of uh, Nathan Buckley? Oh, yeah, yeah, he's that blonde, blonde guy, right? Yeah, he's really impressive. <laughs> really impressive. Um, well, what, what about um, Justin Lepich? Oh, the redhead guy? Yeah. Oh, yeah, no, he's pretty good. Pretty good. Yeah, no, I thought he was pretty... And I rattle off, I think one of, uh, was it Chris Scott? Yeah, it might have been Chris Scott's first year. Um, had to sort of describe him. And, and then I said, what about, um, and this guy was a single figure draft pick. I said, what about Nathan Chapman? He said, who? I said, Nathan Chapman. Um, he said, oh, no, sorry, mate. I, I, I don't know which one that was. And I said, well, actually, Gary, you played on him for the entire four quarters yeah, and kicked 10 goals. <laughs> anyway. You could have said, how about Spiro Agnew? You know, the, the, guy, with, <laughs> the guy with dark hair. And he would go, yeah, yeah, he was pretty good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I thought he did a great job as vice president to Nixon. Um, anyway, that, it, it was like pulling teeth. And I really liked Gary. He was a very affable bloke um and it was an enjoyable experience but it ended up lasting about eight weeks because we just couldn't get enough out of him and i think in the end we both sort of cut our losses anyway that's my favorite ghost story but paul um i hope that answered a bit of what you're asking about ghosting funny so just very quickly on ghosting as you know a great friend of mine jeffrey poulter yes um did a lot of ghosting yep through his time as editor at sporting globe inside football working at the age and he tells the stories. With some, it was really hands-on. With Barass, he did Barass a lot, you know, and yep. it was basically um, just a rework of Barass's writings and words. He ghosted Keith Keith Miller. Oh, wow. The great Australian all-rounder. Yeah. The, the discussion was held at a pub. Yeah. Uh, which Keith Miller presided at. Jeff would go in, say, uh, we've got an article to do in the Sporting Globe this week about this cricket matter. And he said, Keith Miller's response was always the same. You know how I think, Jeff. I'll leave it up to you. (laughs) And that was all Keith Miller ever put into any article Jeff ever wrote for him. Yeah. Well, I go, final one to finish off. I I ghosted Dean Jones for the Sunday Age. And uh, one day I went down to the Junction Oval. He was in the middle of a Shield game. And I was talking to him out on the ground for five minutes. I thought, oh, this will give me enough. So I asked him, you know, how are you going? You know, what, what state of the game? Where... Victorian cricket's at, blah, blah, blah. And Dino's great. You know, he's always great. Anyway, got, got a look, raced home to write it up, turned, uh, it was a bit windy that day, turned on the tape recorder, this is what I hear. <laughs> I, and I hadn't taken notes because I'm standing out in the middle of the ground. Um, and I, I thought, oh my God, what am I going to do? So I rang Dino, I said, Dino, this is what happened. He said, oh, you remember what we said, you, you'll do. So yeah, I, he, and he was fine with it. Do you reckon reckon controversial Carlton fullback Harry Casper had a ghost? Uh Aha, very good, very good. Well, uh, he might have had some demons haunting him after uh, John Coleman. No, I don't think he did. uh, No, probably not. Time now to have a look at all the games coming up on Footyology. Previews with Punch.
All right, previews by Punch is the name, and we're going to be punchier than usual this week, finally, because we've gone over time. Uh, what did you get last week? Eight. I missed out on most people's certainty, Adelaide, to beat St Kilda. Oh, really? Got the Gee, other that's eight. a bloody good effort. Um, I got six. So, and I'm, so I'm punching your duty. Yeah, I went for I went for a couple of I went for Gold Coast to beat Frau in Perth, which is pretty silly, but yeah, six probably about the norm. All right. We're going to race through them. Uh, round four kicks off Friday evening at uh, Adelaide Oval. Crows taking on the Pies. What do you see happening? Uh, Crows, uh, it's going to be a good game. Pies like travelling interstate, or at least they used to. But I'm just going to defer to the better team on on home soil. It'll be an interesting game nevertheless. Uh, Collingwood will throw everything at them, but... Uh, Pity they can't bring Elliot in. That's a real pity for them. And, of course, Taylor Adams. I would have thought about him if those two weren't out, but I think uh, Elliot would have been the difference, and I think Adams has been a really important player for them. So um, I really rate the Crows. I think they'll, oh, yeah, look, they'll, I think they'll win by about four goals. Crows the pair of us. All right, uh, Saturday afternoon, GWS taking on uh, Fremantle, a Fremantle that appears to have surprised a few people. Yeah, in the nation's capital, where GWS, I think, have won their last seven in a row, and they have too many weapons, despite, you know, despite the fact that Fremantle have really shown more metal and a better forward line. You know, Walters, Tabner, and McCarthy is yeah, working well God. at the moment. Yeah. No, I still have to tip the Giants. Yeah, same. I, I think the Giants are sort of doing what they've tended to do, which is win off the back of really good players rather than a cohesive team effort. And I think that was the difference between them and the Swans. But I think they'll get there. Um, Do you see who's done GWS's media this week leading up to the game? No. DeBoer. What does that say to you? We're going to throw up our ex-Fremantle man when we play Fremantle. Oh, I thought it was, just, I thought it was a play on De Boer. Was no, it, no. Was he, a, was he that uninteresting, was he? De Boer. Uh, yeah, no, I'm... I'm, I'm South I'm, African pronunciation correct. I'm going for the Giants as yes. well. So, Giants for both of us. Um, all right, Saturday, the MCG, Tigers, Richmond taking on Brisbane. A much-improved Brisbane. Almost got the job done against Port in Adelaide last week. Uh, Tigers... Yep, they've been pretty handy, haven't they? Although they faded out late in that game against the Hawks. Um, you know, efficient enough win over Carlton round one. Not great against Adelaide, but I, I reckon they're going all right for a side which might have fallen victim to a, a premiership uh, post-lull. Yeah, remember, you know, Caddy will be back this week. He's a really important player for them, Josh Caddy. Yep. Presti has had a setback, so that's a concern. No, Richmond, no problem. All right, now this one's interesting. Eddie Had Stadium, the Bulldogs recovered their mojo last week against the Bombers, uh, up against the Swans, who had that setback against Port, but really good win over in Perth, which is looking better by the week in round one. And I thought a uh, really good win over the Giants last week too. How do you see that panning out? You know, they always play well at Eddie Head Stadium. But Sam Reid likes playing well there. They've got no Sam Reid. This is going to have a major effect on them sooner rather than later. Mm. I'm going to tip the upset and the Bulldogs. And it is a major upset because Swans Reid is a better side and they play very well under the roof or with the roof open. But I just think they're about to get stretched too thin. Yeah, it's a good game, isn't it? I mean, obviously the 2016 grand final rematch. Um, yeah, I... I 
give the doggies a really big chance. But uh, yeah, I'm going to stick with the Swans. I think they're, I think they're pretty dependable, and I think uh, the loss of Reed might steal them a little bit further if leaving them undermanned in some way. So I'm going for the Swans there. How many years can you go back and still call it a grand final rematch? I mean, when uh, 28. Is that the official number? Yeah, no, I just made it up. So when North Melbourne play Essendon, it's not the 1950 50. grand final rematch? That's what I always think of. No, I, actually, I, I, that is the 2001 greatest comeback ever rematch. Oh, okay, fair enough. Or it could be the... Marshmallow uh, game. Well, if, yeah, it could be that. Or if you're North, could be the we beat Essendon with 17 men in 1976 rematch. Could be the very controversial, and this is true, 1880 game between Hotham, who would later become North Melbourne, and Essendon, yeah. where Hotham accused Essendon supporters of stealing the saplings that had been planted <laughs> to to uh, enliven and beautify their ground in North Melbourne. So not much has changed and, then. And, you know, in that article, Essendon was described as a rural club and their supporters as... as um, Downcast farmers. Downcast. I don't know why, but I thought you were going to say vagabonds then. That Essendon was considered rural. Yeah, okay. Not, not part of the city. It was yeah, a well, farming area. Small city uh, back then. That's a really interesting story. Um, yeah, 100% true. All right, uh, let's go on. Speaking of North Melbourne, is that where we were? North Melbourne yeah. and Carlton, Etihad Stadium, 725. Saturday evening, uh, neither travelling that well. At least the Roos had a good win over your mob a couple of weeks ago. Blues uh, haven't had a win and uh, have steadily got worse, I think. Oh, I'll tip north. I'm tipping north too. Uh, I don't think they were that bad against Melbourne, actually. I mean, they kept Melbourne pretty honest. Um, all right, Saturday night, uh, 8.10 Melbourne time, 6.10 Perth time. West Coast taking on Gold Coast, who do the second leg of a Perth double, having played Freo there last week, and that'll stand them in good stead. For another loss, I'm tipping West Coast. <laughs> yeah, no, I think West Coast are, are going a lot better than most of us thought. Uh, losing Ryan's a blow, but yeah, they're good enough, so going for West Coast. Let's move on to Sunday. Now, this one, uh, big test of the Bombers, finally. They were hideous against the Bulldogs last week. I don't know how they only lost by 21 points. Port Adelaide, on top of the ladder, the only undefeated team. I reckon they're going great guns. Yeah, they had a bit of a fright against the Lions, but um, they're in pretty good nick. And they'll be keen to attain for being absolutely pumped by the Dons in this equivalent game last year. That was Essendon's football glorious uh, when, in that first quarter, I've barely ever seen hands like it. And it uh, moved Worsfold to say our best football is the best in the competition. Can they do it again? They can, but that is a random situation that would be unfortunate for Port if the needle fell on them again for Essendon's best football, which at the moment is a long way off. The forward line's not working. Joe Danaher is a, a star who just ain't getting into it, even though finished off the game a bit better last week, so hopefully important for better things to come. I'll tip a, and this is almost a tongue twister, a pal pepperless port. <laughs> well, that's one thing we didn't talk about. Um, yeah, they'll miss him. Uh, I think the Bombers will miss uh, Connor McKenna more. Um, they've actually, you know, for a side that was talking about being so quick, I thought last week they actually looked a bit slow, which you can do when you haven't got the ball. 
Um, but it was interesting that was off the back of Warsfold saying we're, we're playing too fast and perhaps they sort of overcorre- overcorrected. Look, Essendon, their mindset these days, they tend to struggle when they're favourite and they tend to get themselves up for games against really good sides that they're not expected to win on that basis. Upset? No. Nah. I just don't, I'm, not, I'm not tipping upsets this early in the season. I think Port's a genuinely good side. These are the games they have to put away if they want to get the sceptics off their back. I, I don't think it'll be a, a blowout, but I think Port will win. Okay. Hawthorne-Melbourne, uh, arguably the game of the round, I think, 3.20 Sunday at the MCG. This is Melbourne's big first... I think their first really big stage and test as to whether or not they are a finals team this year. Yep. They may well be competing for a finals berth with Hawthorne or a spot within the eight with Hawthorne because yeah. they seem fairly evenly poised. They also will capitalise on this with a huge attendance. I know that there was a huge attendance last year for the Anzac Day Eve game between Melbourne and Richmond. Richmond. Yeah. But um, gee, if Melbourne hit that game with a win against Hawthorne, mm. keep those Melbourne supporters out, no can do. So uh, not that that will affect the game. I think that uh, they... Answer the questions well at the moment for on ball. The defence is not perfect yet, but has the potential to be even better. It's functioning okay. Is Jaden Hunt right to play this week? Uh, well, he was dropped. Yeah. So he's not injured, so... Is he, uh, was he dropped? Yeah. Oh, I'm surprised about that. Maybe a retooling... Gee, I think he's an important part of their team. I'll tip the Demons. Uh, I will too. I reckon it's a real, um, not in terms of the ladder as much as credibility. I think it's a bit of a must win. Not must win, but I I think beating Hawthorne, who are are going okay, I think would do their credibility a a lot. Um, And I think think that we were so close for this this being an intra-club game. Yeah, Yeah, now 22 years ago that. Um, I think both parties pretty grateful that didn't happen. But... um, Look, they have beaten the Hawks uh, and troubled them a couple of times in recent years. I think they're a better side now. Gorn in fantastic form. So is McAvoy, incidentally, so that'll be a great battle. Um, I just think Melbourne's the classier side, and it sounds, you know, it's still weird getting your head around that, anyone being classier than Hawthorne, but I think I think the Ds probably are. Um, and I think they've already shown a bit more maturity this year. They... Came back from a five-goal leeway against the Cats and probably should have won. They let go a seven-goal lead up in Brisbane and managed to really steady and win by four. And uh, similarly against North, they were being pushed and then blew out in the last quarter. So I, I think they've shown a, a lot more maturity this year and I expect that to translate into a win. So much on the line though, isn't it? If they lose, people will say you've only beaten Brisbane and North. Yeah, if they yeah. win, they are talked about in... You know, sky's the limit yeah. terms. Yeah, no, absolutely. And the uh, round four wraps up with your boys down at the Cattery. St Kilda travelling down to Geelong, 4.40 Sunday afternoon. When was the last time they played at Geelong, St Kilda? I know the last time they won was, I think, 1999. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so close to 20 years. I mean, it is the... Do you agree it's the toughest venue to win at in the AFL? Yeah, it is. I yeah. remember they got thrashed by Geelong there. It might have been Gary Ablett's fourth or fifth game. Yeah. Kashitsky would have been St Kilda's best player that day as a young player. Mm. 
they don't play there very often. They've played there once since it's been revamped as a, you know, a venue with a boutique night. Yep. venue. Yeah, and they got annihilated. Uh, Ablett's out unless he, you know, takes Dangerfield, Selwood, and three defenders with him. They'll St Kilda will lose. It's a long for mine. Uh, same. Look, I, I think the Saints have to show something. I'll tell you what, if they get smashed, that'll be your story next week. Richo under pressure, yeah. Saints, you know, um, year zero, da 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 Yep. I, th- I expect they'll give a better account of themselves, but you cannot tip against the Cats down there. I used to love going to down to Geelong, maybe next week or at some point. I'll tell you some stories of M. Find the Supporter, at Cadinia Park, and there are some beauties. Save it for another rip-roaring episode. Uh, we're going to wrap up with our final segment. On Footyology, never again. All right, I'm going to go first. This is just one thing uh, we've seen, heard, done, whatever, that we swear we won't repeat. Uh, mine's going to be really quick, and it's a bit of a sore point with me. I will never again see a score of you and think I know what the decision will be after that debacle last weekend, the Richard Douglas goal decision, the Jack Gunston, Jason Casagna decision where they clearly thought Gunston was the forward, not the defender, and the worst of the lot, the Chris Marston one where Tom Stewart dived about a foot over his ball kicking the um, his foot kicking the ball and somehow they decide to override the goal and pass decision. I hope they've been well. I know they've been given a bit of a stern talking to, but I will never again take a score of you for granted. Finey. No, it's it's fair enough. It's you wonder what these people are watching sometimes. It's it's as though they've they've watched the usual suspects and think that. Uh, the killer was Gabriel Byrne's character. It's just absolutely <laughs> I was just thinking of a head in a box, but that's seven, isn't that's it? That's seven. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, go on. Um, my never again is never again should the AFL allow a team, and they shouldn't have allowed it anyhow, to sell a home game to the side that they're playing. If you can't play at your home ground, find a neutral venue because the Gold Coast Fremantle game might have been worth a million dollars to Gold Coast, which really is irrelevant. Don't the AFL fund them? But that's not the point. The point is, for the integrity of the competition, Gold Coast might be willing to cough up four points, but Fremantle might make the eight this year, and if they do, it'll probably be a close-run thing against a side that was not afforded such a luxury. It should be banned. It's a practice that we should never again see in football. Hear, hear. And a nice note on which to finish. A nice, strong editorial tone. Hope you've enjoyed this week's Footyology audio podcast, the Round 4 Preview Edition. Don't forget to watch our show on Sunday evenings, wrapping up each round of the AFL season. If you dare see our heads in an orgy of vision... And uh, we we are hoping to actually go live this Sunday, so Ooh. hopefully about seven thirty. Um, even if you can't check in with our YouTube, the Footyology YouTube channel, which has all the episodes up there, and this podcast will be available on iTunes as well. Been a pleasure, everyone. We'll see you next week.